The House is in recess and is not scheduled to return until late September. The Senate has been in session throughout the weekend. That's two weekends in a row and will stay in session until it has completed its work on both the bipartisan infrastructure bill and the budget resolution. Last week in the Senate, they worked straight through the weekend. On Sunday evening late, the text of the 2,702-page bipartisan infrastructure bill was released. The table of contents alone is 18 pages long. On Monday, the Senate began considering various amendments. Through the course of the week, the Senate considered 17 amendments. The Senate agreed to seven of them. There was a flurry of activity Thursday afternoon as it appeared it might be possible to get everything lined up to bring floor debate to a close and move to a vote on final passage that night or early Friday morning. But that would require unanimous consent, and those seeking unanimous consent had a problem to deal with. The Congressional Budget Office had finally released its score of the bill, and contrary to the promises that had been made by the bipartisan negotiating group, the bill was not fully paid for. In fact, the CBO said it would add $256 billion to the national debt over its duration. So Tennessee Republican Bill Haggerty, a freshman senator, refused to consent to expediting the process and insisted they play things out in regular order. So instead, on Thursday, the Senate kept right on working. Majority Leader Schumer filed a cloture motion on the cinema portion, uh, the cinema Portman Amendment that would ripen on Saturday. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Eunice C. Lee to be a U.S. Circuit Judge for the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. Later on Thursday, the Senate approved by voice vote the nominations of Jose W. Fernandez to be an Undersecretary for Economic Growth, Energy, and the Environment at the Department of State. Robert Peter Silvers to be Undersecretary for Strategy, Policy, and Plans at the Department of Homeland Security, and Kathleen S. Miller to be Deputy Undersecretary of Defense. And when Saturday rolled around and the cloture motion ripened and was voted on, it was agreed to by a vote of 67 to 27, with 18 Republicans voting to bring debate on the Cinema Portman Amendment to a close. Later on Saturday, the Senate voted to confirm Eunice C. Lee to be a U.S. Circuit Judge for the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. Then, by voice vote, the Senate confirmed Christopher, Christopher Paul Mayer to be an Assistant Secretary of Defense, Carlos Del Toro to be Secretary of the Navy, and Brian Todd Newland to be an Assistant Secretary of the Interior Department. So, this week in the Senate, Majority Leader Schumer has promised to keep the Senate in session long enough to vote through not just the bipartisan infrastructure bill, but also the budget resolution that will unlock the door for a $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. In addition, Majority Leader Schumer used Rule 14 to bypass the committees and bring straight to the floor two bills, S-2670, the Redistricting Reform Act of 2021, and S-2671, the Disclose Act of 2021. He has not announced plans for those two bills, but it's possible he could bring them up for a vote this week before letting the Senate leave for its August recess. The latest on the Corrupt Politicians Act, Democrats are still trying to figure out some way to make their progressive activists happy on the election reform front. Thursday, a bunch of Senate Democrats, led by Rules Committee Chairwoman Senator Amy Klobuchar, met to discuss their latest plans for a revised bill incorporating suggestions from West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin. The takeaway is simple. As Georgia Democrat Raphael Warnock said, quote, we're making good progress. We still have some distance to go, end quote, which is another way of saying they're not there yet. More on the eviction ban. On Tuesday of last week, 
the Biden administration launched its most diabolical attack yet on our freedoms, and it's likely to get away with it because congressional Republicans either don't understand the stakes or are too timid to stand up and fight. At issue is the new CDC-promulgated eviction moratorium. If President Biden, Speaker Pelosi, and their cronies get away with this new direct assault on property rights, they will have set a remarkably damaging precedent. The CDC promulgated an order, quote, temporarily halting evictions in counties with heightened levels of community transmission in order to respond to recent unexpected developments in the trajectory of the COVID-19 pandemic, including the rise of the Delta variant. Accordingly, a landlord, owner of a residential property, or other person with a legal right to pursue eviction or possessory action shall not evict any covered person from any residential property in any county or U.S. territory while the county or territory is experiencing substantial or high levels of community transmission of SARS-CoV-2, end quote. It's important to note that the particular locutions chosen for this order, that is that they're not simply extending the previous eviction moratorium, but are issuing a brand new moratorium only to take effect in areas that are experiencing what they call substantial or high levels of community transmission of the coronavirus is just so much crap. As of this weekend, that's 87% of U.S. counties, up from 83% on Friday. This is not targeted or limited or narrow, no matter what the White House or the CDC says. Under the order, property owners in the affected areas, which not surprisingly tend to be located in red states, are denied their ability to evict a tenant who has not paid his rent. That is a clear denial of landlords' property rights. Effectively, it's as if the government had seized their property without compensating them for it. That seems to be a fairly straightforward violation of the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution, which says, quote, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, end quote. The Supreme Court recently made known its beliefs on the matter. In a late June ruling, a majority of the court held that the CDC had overstepped its authority in issuing its original eviction moratorium last September, but agreed to leave it in place because it was going to expire in a matter of weeks. Further, said the court, any new eviction ban would have to be accompanied by, I'm sorry, would have to be accomplished by means of an act of Congress, as the original eviction moratorium from early last year was. Biden knows this. Asked earlier in the week about the prospects of extending the now expired eviction moratorium, he said, quote, I have been informed the CDC is about to make a judgment as to potential other options. Whether that option will pass constitutional muster with this administration, he meant with this Supreme Court, I can't tell you. I don't know. The bulk of the constitutional scholarship says that it's not likely to pass constitutional muster, end quote. Whether it's constitutional or not, Biden wants to do it anyway, because he believes it will buy him time to relieve a current headache. But at a minimum, he continued, by the time it gets litigated, it will probably give some additional time, end quote, to address the problem with other means. To those who would say, but it's not the renter's fault he can't pay his rent, and the landlord is just a greedy, faceless, mega-millions corporation anyway, please keep in mind, it's not the landlord's fault the tenant can't pay his rent either. Further, the CDC didn't issue an order to the banks, the insurance companies, the mortgage lenders, and or the IRS telling them 
they can no longer collect the monies due from the landlords who are no longer receiving rent payments from their tenants. And most landlords, I'm willing to bet, would object if the CDC tried to issue such an order. Moreover, according to the most recent statistics, mom and pop landlords are the owners of almost 23 million rental units. That's about 40% of the rental properties available. Further, 40% of landlords own property worth less than $200,000, and another 30% own property valued in the $200,000 to $400,000 range. So more than two-thirds of landlords own property valued at $400,000 or less. These are not greedy, faceless, mega-millions corporations. They are our friends, neighbors, and co-workers, and their government is shafting them. But the government is doing more than just shafting landlords with this eviction moratorium. It's shafting all of us. Because those property rights the government is attacking are the rights on which all our other rights rest. Devotees of Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels the world over know this. In their 1848 pamphlet, The Communist Manifesto, Marx and Engels declared that, quote, the theory of the communists may be outlined in a single sentence, abolition of private property. End quote. Then they went on to outline the steps necessary to move a society from capitalism to communism, with this listed as their first step, quote, abolition of property and land and application of all rents of land for public purposes, unquote. Perhaps it's been so long since congressional Republicans read their Marx and Engels that they don't recognize a step toward communism when they see it. Something tells me the same cannot be said of Speaker Pelosi. One thing's for sure, if the Republicans don't soon stand up and fight this, they will have allowed the Marxism they claim to be fighting to notch a huge victory. Now to that student loan payback freeze. Having demonstrated that they could roll the Biden administration with a tactic as simple as pulling a lawn chair up to the Capitol steps and sleeping outdoors for a few nights, progressives were salivating for their next show of political strength. Their target? Student loan debt. On Friday, Education Secretary Miguel Cardona announced the Biden administration would extend the pause on federal student loan payments from the end of September, when the pause had been set to expire, until the end of January. This extension was described in the official release announcing the policy change as a, quote, final extension. Of course, that wasn't enough for the left. Senate Majority Leader Schumer said, while this temporary relief is welcome, it doesn't go far enough. Senator Elizabeth Warren and her Massachusetts Democrat colleague, Representative Ayanna Presley, said in a joint statement, quote, our broken student loan system continues to exacerbate racial wealth gaps and hold back our entire economy, unquote. Schumer, who is clearly worried about a potential primary challenge from his left, is one of the congressional Democrats putting pressure on President Biden to use some unknown executive authority to cancel up to $50,000 of student loan debt per borrower. Interestingly, last week, Speaker Pelosi broke with progressives on this issue, telling reporters that she did not think the president had the authority to cancel student loan debt. The White House has said it backs $10,000 of loan forgiveness for each borrower, but has not explained why it believes it's all right to cancel $10,000 of debt, but not $50,000. I mean, once you say it's okay for the president to issue a writ canceling student loan debt, what difference does it make whether he's canceling $10,000 of debt or $50,000? What limit does he recognize? Stay tuned. This one isn't going away either. And now to the debt limit. Raising the debt limit is about to become a thing. 
You'll recall a few weeks ago, I told you Senate Minority Leader McConnell had said publicly that he did not anticipate any Senate Republican would vote to raise the debt limit and suggested that the Democrats should include in their upcoming reconciliation bill a provision raising the limit so Democrats could do it without any fingerprints. Majority Leader Schumer did not take that advice well and basically told McConnell to take a long walk off a short pier. Schumer said he planned to add a provision on the debt ceiling on the continuing resolution the Congress will pass when it comes back from its August recess. In Schumer's thinking, that bill is a must-pass, and he knows McConnell will have to give him at least 10 Republican votes to pass it through regular order. So since it's a must-pass, Schumer thinks he can stick in a provision on the debt ceiling and he'll get Republican votes that way. McConnell did not take well to that. He reiterated his position a few days ago. On Thursday, he said from the Senate floor, quote, Democrats are about to tell Republicans to go take a hike and start teeing up billions more dollars in borrowing and spending without a single Republican vote. But at the same time, they're extolling the virtues of their latest socialist shopping list. They're afraid to up the limit on their credit card. They want to unleash another reckless taxing and spending spree with zero Republican inputs. Oh, but when the bill comes, they say it's time to split the check. Let me make something perfectly clear. If they don't need or want our input, they won't get our help. They won't get our help with the debt limit increase that their reckless plans will require. I could not be more clear. They have the ability. They control the White House. They control the House. They control the Senate. They can raise the debt ceiling. And if it's raised, they will do it. End quote. Remember, if Schumer adds a provision on the debt ceiling to the continuing resolution, it can be a provision that raises the debt ceiling or a provision that suspends the debt ceiling until a date certain down the road. If, on the other hand, he adds a provision to the reconciliation bill, it can only be a provision that raises the debt ceiling by a certain dollar amount. He wants to avoid that at all costs, but he may have to eat crow. McConnell has the whip hand on this one. Stay tuned. And that's our Washington Report for this week.